You're listening to the Journeys of Scientists podcast put on by MSU WAMPS. These are casual conversations with graduate students in a variety of fields to learn about their experiences, research, and what brought them to where they are today. To keep up to date with future WAMPS events, be sure to check out our website at WAMPS.org and follow us on social media. We are MSU WAMPS on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. In this episode, we are joined by Macy Pell, a PhD candidate studying the genomic diversity and stress tolerance mechanisms of persistent group B streptococcus infections during pregnancy. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Macy. Could you briefly introduce yourself? What is your area of study here at MSU? Yeah, I'm Macy Pell. I am a PhD candidate in the Department of Microbiology and Molecular Genetics in Dr. Shannon Manning's lab. Okay. And what type of research do you do? Yeah, and I, um, so I'm in microbiology, and so I work with uh, group B streptococcus or group B strep, um, which is a pathogenic bacteria that's really um, important in pregnancy as it causes neonatal uh, disease. Um, So I study the genomic diversity of group B strep, as well as how it's able to persistently colonize a host such as the pregnant mother and then be transferred eventually to the fetus and cause disease there. Okay. So like, I don't know much about like biology or anything like that. So it's like the strep part. Is that like the same sort of strep as like strep throat or is it totally unrelated? It isn't related. Yeah. So group A strep um, is the type that causes strep throat, for example. So that one's pretty, a lot more commonly known. And so group B strep is another form or another type of streptococcus. So the species is streptococcus agalactiae for group B strep. Um, so it's just a different species. Okay. And so like, what is, so like, what does this infection that you do, like, what does it sort of do? You sort of described it a little bit in like prenatal mothers, but is it like anyone can get, it or is that like the most susceptible group? Um, it also affects the um, elderly population as well. Um, also, it is found in tilapia and um, it's also causes mastitis in cattle. Um, but we, I'm, most of the fields, it, the majority of the focus is on uh, infections during pregnancy because um, it, it can also cause outcomes like preterm birth, stillbirth, um, those kinds of things. Okay. Is that something there like, if you get it, you treat it with say like penicillin or some sort of antibiotic? Yeah, exactly. There's, um, so the cool thing about group B strep is we classify it as an opportunistic pathogen. So it only causes disease under the right conditions. So for, it colonizes the vaginal tract of women. And so during pregnancy, it's actually an asymptomatic infection when it just, right not infection, I guess it colonizes and just kind of hangs out in the vaginal tract asymptomatically. So it doesn't cause any symptoms. Um, usually, I mean, in some cases it can enter the bloodstream and then that is an environment such that it can turn into a disease phenotype. Um, but during pregnancy, it becomes an issue because it can, um, move through the membranes and infect the fetus through various ways. Um, so it can cause 
um, it's a kind of a wide spectrum of outcomes. So that's what's mm-hmm. interesting about this pathogen. It's it's not uh, as straightforward as some others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I would imagine to, and maybe I'm wrong about this too, but like if you're pregnant, then I'm assuming like treatments and stuff, you have to be like that much more conscientious of like medicines and stuff that you take, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a lot of, so the kind of go-to treatment is, what we call intrapartum antibiotic prophylaxis. And so that is an IV course of antibiotics that's given during labor. So usually they will screen um, pregnant women for GBS or groupie strep. I'm probably going to use those interchangeably. Um, So they screen by swabbing uh, during late third trimester to see if they are colonized with GBS because another thing is it can kind of colonization can kind of waver. So it can come and go. So if you were to test early in pregnancy, you might clear, you know, colonization by your third trimester. So that's why they um, swab late third trimester. And then if they're positive for colonization, then they get this antibiotic treatment during labor. It's in their kind of plan. Um, And then usually that does a pretty good job at reducing the incidence of um, neonatal disease, um, but it has a couple downfalls where, like I mentioned earlier, GBS can uh, trigger preterm birth. And obviously, if you're testing late third trimester, you can't really um, fix that outcome or prevent that outcome with this antibiotic regimen. So it has some downfalls, which is why it's important to look into alternative treatment options, which is a big area of research right now. Okay. And then you said like, often people could be like asymptomatic about it. So then does that mean that everyone like do like all pregnant women get like tested for this or like, or like what is the, like what leads you to even test for this in the first place? Yeah, it's actually just a universal like screening process. So everyone will get tested. It's just kind of a routine because you're exactly right. It's asymptomatic. So you don't really know until you swab it and culture for it. So that's exactly why they um, do that screening. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. So then what leads you into like this area of research? Like what led you to this lab? Yeah. um, So I've always been really interested in pathogens, whether they be bacteria, viruses, what have you. Um, And I'm really interested in how they cause disease in a host and looking at those host pathogen interactions. Um, I guess bigger picture, I'm really interested in looking at how we can better prevent these types of infectious diseases and research more effective treatment options down the road, um, which, you know, obviously starts at understanding the pathogen. So I did a little bit of research um, in my undergrad with uh, influenza. So I've had kind of, I've been on both sides of different pathogens. So that's kind of what got me started. It was my research with influenza and really the infectious disease host pathogen interactions. And then I actually didn't know about group B strep until I um, met with this lab. And so I became really interested in it. And I think the awareness of it is really important because I feel like a lot of people don't know what it is until maybe they go through a pregnancy and get screened for it and then deal with it then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in your undergrad, 
did you start off as microbiology? Was that your, your field or what did you originally study? So in my undergrad, I originally studied um, the evolution of influenza virus, and we looked at its ability to evolve within a non-human primate host. And we also looked at um, just rates of transmission as well. Um, so I really, I did a lot of um, looking at like the sequence and seeing if there's certain mutations that acquire over time because viruses tend to mutate at a much higher rate than bacteria as we're seeing with the current pandemic going on. Um, so yeah, I kind of did some similar work looking at the evolution of the virus within a host and how the host environment or certain factors of the host environment can influence um, the pathogen to mutate or kind of adapt um, to cause more severe disease in a host. And that's similar to what I'm doing now uh, with bacteria. It's just a different pathogen. So I'm looking at how the host environment, like there's lots of things that a pathogen enc encounters in a host environment. You have, you know, different pH levels. The pH of the vaginal tract is really low. It's around 4.5. Um, you run into antibiotic stress, right? If you get antibiotic treatment. So I'm looking at how these different stress factors kind of cause the bacteria or, you know, to select for kind of the more fit mm -hmm. out of the population. And those are the ones that go on to cause severe disease because they're better adapted to um, colonize and stick with the host and get through all those kind of stressful barriers, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so like, how young were you where you were like, I want to be a scientist or something like that? No. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so my science journey, I guess, started, I, what sticks with me is my sixth grade class. And it was the first time we learned about the cell. And I don't know if you've seen, or if you remember those kind of cut out, like, those coloring pages where you color in all the organelles and things of the cell. And it's, it's just when you first learn about kind of like your first exposure mm -hmm. to biology. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was so cool that there's so many complex things going on and just a one, like a single microscopic cell. And that's such a complicated system is happening in such a small level. And I thought that was super cool. And then Eventually, you know, further down the line, I learned about bacteria and viruses, and those are even smaller. And so it's that's kind of where it started. And I think ever since then, I've kind of been interested in it. And of course, I've been interested in kind of just the disease and pathogen realm for a while. Um, my mom's a nurse, and so I've kind of been exposed to the medical side of the things. And my sister has an immune deficiency. And so she's kind of gone through a lot of these ailments. And so I've kind of been around those kinds of topics. And so I think that's always kind of been an interest in my, of mine too. So it's kind of cool to put them together once I learned more about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very cool. Where did you do your undergrad? I did my undergrad at UW Madison. So I, I grew up in Michigan um, and I just, kind of jumped across the pond and <laughs> did undergrad and then came right back here for grad school. 
Okay. What led you to go to Wisconsin? I think I, um, I applied to schools all over the Midwest and I think I just kind of wanted a little bit of an adventure and I knew that they had a really good microbiology program. And so I applied and I visited the campus and the campus is absolutely beautiful. And so that's, that was a good pull for sure. (laughs) But yeah. Very cool. So when you were studying, were you involved with any, like you mentioned, you worked in a lab some, and then were you involved with any like other extracurriculars or activities or hobbies or anything like that during your time? Yeah. So in undergrad, so I did, um, I did the microbiology club because I was, you know, a little microbiology nerd, all interested. <laughs> so I did that. We did some cool things there. Um, I did a little bit of work with the Habitat for Humanity chapter there. Um, and then mostly just kind of keeping that school balance. You know, I would, I got really into yoga actually in um, undergrad. And so I kind of found that as a nice grounding um, activity to kind of keep me balanced. And is of course like science classes, it's a, a lot of intense classes. And so it's kind of nice to have that outlet and, and besides, you know, Netflix, <laughs> it's nice to break up. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Are you still, you know, active in yoga as a, like a de-stressor in grad school? Yes. Yeah. I use it a lot. It's, it's a nice um, go-to for sure. I'll, I'll kind of fluctuate between, you know, doing a daily practice and I'll, you know, miss a stretch, but then I'll get back on the mat and I'll quickly be reminded, yep, this is helpful. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, so sometimes I can get caught up in, you know, long days and long weeks of experiments, but it's nice to kind of get back and just de-stress and stay grounded helps me reset for sure. Very nice. So then how did, I mean, you already said that you were from Michigan, but like, how did MSU mm-hmm. pop in your radar for like grad school and like sort of how did you end up here? Yeah. So I guess my story of, and I guess science in general too, is it all kind of started with I nannied for a family that actually worked, the parents work at MSU. Um, One of them is a professor. And I was talking to them. They're like, oh, what are you interested in? What do you do? This, I was an undergrad at the time. Um, So I would come home for the summers and I would nanny for this family. And they said, oh, well, we got to get you in the lab with our friend. Our friend is, um, you know, a faculty in the microbiology department. Um, I'm sure like you could work in his lab and check it out. And so they kind of got me connected with uh, Dr. Chris Waters in the microbio department at MSU here. So it's the same department I'm in now. And that was the first time working with bacteria. So I worked with Vibrio Cholera in that lab. And I was kind of learning the basics of bacteria culturing and those kinds of things. And, And I really just found the environment at MSU uh, really welcoming. And it was, it was so collaborative and it just felt like a night, like a family environment. And, um, I really liked that about MSU. And so I definitely considered, um, you know, that's what made me consider applying. And of course the aspect of my whole family is here too. And I think that has been really helpful in having that support system 
with me and just kind of down the road going through grad school. It's been really helpful. So that was an aspect as well. Um, so that kind of got me kind of turned my alert on, I guess, for the MSC grad program. And then I, when I applied here and I came here to, and to start my grad career, we do a series of lab rotations, which are like eight weeks each. And you kind of go from lab to lab before you pick your home lab. And so I did a rotation with, um, Chris Waters. And so it was kind of nice to ease myself into grad school, familiar face, familiar lab. And so he's been a really good advisor and kind of helping me, you know, find my way and um, get interested in, in the bacterial side of things. And then of course I ended up in Shannon's lab and now he's on my committee um, for my uh, PhD thesis committee. And so, yeah, it just comes full circle, but it's funny to think that it just kind of started with, Oh, I happen to, you know, mm nanny for just the right family to get <laughs> get those connections. But um, yeah, they encouraged me to reach out to labs at, in Wisconsin too, and kind of helped me with that cold emailing process that, you know, you send out a bunch of emails and you get two responses back maybe, <laughs> but, but yeah. yeah, so long-winded answer, but that's kind of where it started. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really cool. So then how was your transition into grad school? Was it like a relatively smooth transition? Um, yeah, I think I think mine felt pretty smooth for just the fact that I was moving back to kind of my hometown area. So that helped for sure. And all of my family's here. Um, and just having that familiar environment as I've worked in labs at MSU before. And so that was also really helpful. It was all familiar. I knew a good amount of the people in the department, whether it was by having a lot of conversations with them or just seeing them in the hall. So it was, it was a familiar environment. And I think that helped a lot because it is a really big transition um, into grad school. It's a whole different ball game and it's, they throw a lot at you at once, <laughs> but, um, so I think those things really helps make it smooth. And I also started, I was able to start early in the summer and it's pretty relaxed in the summer, um, on campus, as I'm sure you've experienced, um, which is also helpful. And so I kind of was able to start without, I was able to start in the lab before all the classes and stuff started because those are hard to balance, of course. So so yeah, relatively smooth for me. Oh, okay, <laughs> the so that's good. Glad to hear that. Were you involved with like any any hobbies or extra? Other like, I talked about yoga a little bit, but like you know, other things like even during grad school to have self separate from classes and research. Yeah, I actually. So when I joined um, Shannon Manning's lab, um, I found a volleyball group through one of my um, colleagues in that lab. So it was actually uh, Zoe Hansen <laughs> um, was like, Hey, do you play volleyball? And I was like, yeah, sure. And she's like, well, you should come play with us. And um, so I met all of these great people throughout different departments and we play volleyball together and we've played together since 2019. So that's been a really fun outlet, get out there and 
get some activity going and we, you know, hang out. It's, it's nice to have a group that mm-hmm. is outside of your department. So you don't just end up talking about work <laughs> all the time. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's really nice too. Um, so I still do that a couple times a week um, with that group and it's awesome. And I also got involved with graduate women in science, which mm. um, so I started kind of volunteering. So this is a professional graduate professional group. It's actually a national organization, but there's a bunch of regional chapters. So the chapter we have here is mid Michigan. Um, it's, it's home basis MSU. Um, and so I got involved with that chapter just by volunteering. I helped out with girls math and science day, which is an annual event they do for middle school girls interested in science. And so there's like a bunch of activities that come for the day. Um, and that's really fun. And I was like, Oh, this organization is pretty cool. Let's see if I can get more involved. And then I, um, got on the executive board. I was treasurer for a couple of years. Now I'm vice president and it's been a really good group and kind of cohort of women in science and just the STEM fields. Um, and it's, it's been a nice support, um, having this group. And also it's very rewarding to, you know, put an effort towards planning events that enhance, you know, professional development and even just having social, you know, gatherings to help relieve stress and just kind of think about something other than grad school for a minute. And we still do girls math and science day, all of these things. Um, and it's gotten me connected with, um, the other chapters too. So it's, it's opened up a really awesome network uh, of other women in science. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm really happy to be a part of that organization. And that's definitely helped me through. (laughs) Um, And as far as other things, um, those are definitely the two big ones um, apart from, you know, (laughs) watching TV or reading or something. (laughs) Um, I mean, I don't do a lot of reading because I feel like I do enough all day during the work day. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's hard to, kind of come home and then read some more, but, um, yeah, and just hanging out with family, which is really nice. Um, I have a cat, um, so he's, he's a fun hangout. He was my work from home buddy for a while during quarantine. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Awesome. Well, sort of like wrapping things up a little bit. I like to ask people, you know, one or two questions, like, do you have any advice or tips of wisdom you would give either like undergraduates thinking about going to grad school or like first year grad students kind of adjusting to the grad school lifestyle? Yeah. Um, I would definitely say like a couple of things. One is definitely reach out to people, like, especially for undergrads thinking about grad school, you know, where grad students are always happy to talk about what grad school is like and, you know, give, you know, tips and advice on how to apply and, or, you know, how to navigate what it's like. Um, I reached out to a couple when I was applying and that was so helpful just to get their experience um, and their perspective. And just kind of first year, I mean, the first year of grad school is hard. You're dealing with a lot, you're rotating. And as soon as you get comfortable in one lab, you have to rotate to another. And 
and on top of balancing classes and it's a whole new year, you know, you're expected to start thinking about research in a different way than you ever really did in undergrad. And so I think probably the biggest thing, and I still have to repeat this to myself a lot, but it's just to be compassionate with yourself and just be patient and realize that everyone is likely feeling, you know, that sense of imposter syndrome and it's hard to escape. And, um, but it's important to be patient and gracious with yourself and look back. If you feel like you're not making any progress, look back to where you were, you know, a couple months ago or a year ago, and then you'll realize, oh yeah, I have learned a lot since then. It might not feel like it in the moment, but if you look back and you're like, oh yeah, there are, are plenty of things I know how to do now that I didn't a year ago. Um, yeah. And just finding that support group, whether it's through an organization or your family or friends or some sort of outlet that work-to-life balance is so important Um, because it's easy to get kind of bogged down with things, um, whether it's classes or research or whatever. Um, Yeah, I guess those would be my big things that have really helped me kind of get through, especially like the tough weeks where you just kind of get caught in that imposter syndrome trap sometimes and just having that group that says yep I feel the same don't worry and it's you know more than you think you know those kinds of things yeah great well great thank you for for sharing all of that and thank you for coming on it was great talking with you yeah thank you so much it was fun